Good evening, everybody. How is everybody tonight? Good? Good. Well, I'm excited to be here. I'm honored to be here. Uh, leadership night is always one of my favorite times to come together and uh, receive impartation, as Pastor Donna said, you know, to grow and, and build together and, and to find out how we can lead more effectively. And, you know, I realize that all of us come in here in different places and different levels of where we're at in our leadership, um, you know, but I would just submit to you that no matter where you're at in your walk with God and where you're at in your leadership, that these messages are intended to edify you, that all of these messages have fruit and edification to be able to build you up and strengthen your spirit and help you live out the purpose that God has for you. You know, those that look, come looking to receive will receive. The Bible says, seek and you will find, right? Knock and it will be open. Ask and you shall receive. And so I would just ask you all tonight, who, who here came knocking, asking, and looking? Whose heart is in that position? Awesome, right? Ready to receive. See, I believe that messages from heaven that are delivered through this pulpit by ambassadors that are appointed to deliver the message of God to his people, that they contain life in them. The Bible says that the word is life to those that hear. It's the only thing, the only book that contains life. And so what that means is when we hear the word of God, and if we really receive it, not just listen, but we hear and we receive, Proverbs 14.33 says, wisdom rests in the heart of those that have understanding. So there's things that you will receive and take in that will play out and, and bear out in your life immediately, but there's things that will stay resident in you that will continue to build and grow, and when the time comes to be able to apply that in your life and to be able to move in the things that God has for you, it'll be right there because that, that spirit of wisdom is resting in your heart because you have the understanding and you came looking to receive and to hear. Amen? The title of my message tonight is what's really about relationships. It's very kind of a broad uh, scope of relationships. The little uh, sub-point, if you will, to my title is you can't be everything to everybody, but you can be a lot of things to a lot of people. You know, we come in with so many different backgrounds, so many different careers, occupations, kids, where we're at in our lives, all these things, but something that we definitely have in common that fuses us together is that we all have a certain amount of relationships that we have going on in our life whenever we go out of here, right? And so what I want to do is I want to just come at this, I believe that God has just kind of spoken to me about some things, you know, to understand how to build relationships for kingdom purposes, from a godly perspective, and to be able to maintain and grow those relationships over a lifetime in a way that bears the most fruit that it can from our lives and the way God's called us to live it out. To start out, uh, I just want to build a foundation for you of why relationships are so important and why they apply to all of us and why we need to take the the, the objective of building relationships effectively for God seriously. You know, in the Bible, first of all, Jesus was, was all about people, right? I mean, everywhere he went, all the things that he did, it's crystal clear that in all the things Jesus did, he was all about 
his people, and the people he was trying to reach. And we, too, are to be all about people. We're created as relational beings. And no earthly thing can enrich our lives the way that relationships can, nor can our impact carry any further by any other means than what relationships can allow our impact to carry. You know, when it comes to leading and pursuing a vision, you cannot pursue any worthwhile vision without focusing on building meaningful relationships. To try to pursue a vision at the sake of not pursuing relationships and setting them aside is not the most important thing. Ultimately, is to sacrifice the vision. Because in order for the vision to come to fulfillment, there are meaningful relationships that must be developed and glued and knitted together in order to support that vision and allow it to be all that God has, has called for it to be. You know, I believe that this message is anchored to the Great Commission. The Great Commission really commands all of us to go out and reach people for the gospel. And that's not necessarily just limiting that to our speech and our vocabulary that we would minister to people about Christ. It's in the way we live and in the life that we exemplify and the way we conduct ourselves and the way we touch people through our actions. And so if we're called to follow, when we accept Christ as our Savior, automatically by default we subscribe to the Great Commission. Amen? See, everybody's individual purpose, we all have individual purposes, everybody's individual purpose lines up with the ultimate purpose, which is the Great Commission, to reach the lost and see people saved. God created us to build relationships that impact people for his glory. Very few things are really as obvious as this in the Bible. I mean, God created man, and then the next thing he does is he creates woman, right? And then they procreate. And all of a sudden, the world populates. I mean, it's very clear. You know, it's not deep in Scripture, some profound revelation. It's just very clear that God created us to be surrounded with people and to develop relationships in our lives that are healthy and glorifying to him. It's been that way since the beginning. And really, no matter what career field or personality type or environment you're from, any of that, none of it excludes any single person on the face of the earth from that fact. See, we need relationships to flourish in our purpose and to be able to bear fruit the way God created us to bear fruit. So I would ask you this, can we bear fruit to ourselves? No, right? Does the tree produce fruit and eat its own fruit? No, it produces fruit for other living things to nourish them, right? And so we too, the fruit that God intends for us to produce in our lives, it is not intended for us. It serves us no purpose. It cannot nourish us. It is intended for the world around us and to ultimately glorify God. Proverbs 11.30 says, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. So again, you cannot be everything to everybody, but a lot of things to a lot of people you know, there's kind of a, a balance there that we've you've got to sort of grab hold of in the sense that, you know, you can't go to one extreme and say, well, I, I just, I'm an introvert and I'm just not comfortable with people. You know, I'm just don't, I'm not in a situation where I'm around a lot of people. And so I just, I don't, I can't be everything to everybody. It's just too much. You can't go to that extreme. But at the same time, you can't go to the other extreme, which is saying, I've just got to do everything I can. I've got to be everything to everybody. People need this. They need that. They're pulling at me. And you're just going in every which direction. 
not really grounded and anchored. You, you've got to find the balance between the two, okay? It's almost like knowing that you can be a lot of things to a lot of people. It's almost like when you take a pill, you take it with a glass of water, right? You don't just swallow a pill by itself. It doesn't go down as easy. But knowing that you can be a lot of things to a lot of people is the pill. But the glass of water is that you really can't ever be everything to everybody. Ultimately, that place is reserved for God alone. And that's who people need to look to for their everything. So I would ask you this, where is God, who has God placed around you right now in your life? Think about your family, think about your work, think about your, your endeavors, your hobbies, all the things that you're involved in. Who has God placed around you in your life right now? And then I would follow that with another question. Do you not think if God put those people around you that he doesn't want you to be something to those people? Does he not have a plan for you to do something and to impact those people's lives? Is it just for not, or is there a purpose there? There's a purpose, right? See, our, what God has ultimately called us to do, among many things, is to be salt and light to the world around us, right? And so if you think about salt, if we're to be salt to the world, when you eat, you don't just take in food and then take a spoon of salt and take the salt separately. The salt mixes with the food. We are to mix with the people around us and rub off on them and impact them for God's glory. Salt is not separate. It's, it's mixed in. See, I believe all leadership begins with relationships. You look at any great leader, no matter how much influence they have, no matter how many people are following them, ultimately it's some place where it all started in their walk, in their, in their pursuit, they began building relationships with the people around them, bearing fruit, investing, multiplying their efforts. And as those things grew and grew, their ability to influence permeated through their relationships into other people's relationships. And so the, when you look at a great organization or a great leader, it's easy to see that person is just admired and followed for who they are. But what we don't always look at and see is in the beginning, all of the relationships that had to be developed and knitted together and the ones that had to be put to an end and the ones that had to be started back up and all the things that went on in order to bring that leader's influence to the place that it is. Think about Christ, right? He began in the beginning with just a few people and look how that spreads. The more time Jesus spent with people, the more they were built up. That's how he was most effective, was by spending time with people. And again, you know, as we do this, we have to understand for ourselves where the ultimate source is. If we're going to be a lot of things to a lot of people, we've got to realize that our strength and our ability to do that comes directly from heaven, directly from God, right? Everything comes from him. Romans eleven thirty six says that all things are of him, through him, and to him. So it's his purpose for you in your life. And it's done through the strength of resting in God and his abilities, not your own. And the glory's returned right back to him and it's accomplishing the kingdom purposes it was set out to do. Everything else flows out of our relationship with God. That's the never-ending stream, right? That's the river that never runs dry of living water. 
And if that's the stream that we allow to feed into our tributary and as it branches off, then we will continue to be able to feed more and more pools and more and more people. But if we ever separate ourselves from being plugged into God and our relationship with him and allowing him to strengthen us, then ultimately the minute we step away from him or, or take our focus off of him, the pressure begins to ebb back, right? And, and, and release. And, and we don't even necessarily realize it right in the beginning, but what's coming into the streams that we're feeding into is starting to, to retract. So you can never take your eye off the ball. You can never lose sight of the fact that your personal pursuit is with your relationship with Christ, but that is the reason that you're able to be a lot of things to a lot of people and that Christ, his countenance can be manifested through you and the things he wants to do through you can be imparted and impacting to the people around you. So now that we've established the foundation, I want to go through kind of two sections. One is just a lot of points on building relationships effectively in this world. And then I want to talk about maintaining those relationships through a lifetime. So building meaningful relationships, just like any other project, it requires tools, right, in order to do it, tools and plans. We're not just wandering around aimlessly in activity. We build relationships to advance kingdom purposes. Building relationships provides a lot of great benefits, but kingdom purposes set it all straight. They put it all in order. They make it all follow in suit after the fact that it's all about what God's trying to do. Have you thought about your, to yourself, are my relationships right now advancing kingdom purposes? Am I looking at them that way? Number one, relationships must be divinely led. I start with this because this is like setting the rudder straight before you even get moving. Ultimately, God has people that he wants to place in your life. He has people that you need to impact, and he has people that he wants to use to speak into your life. So let's just go ahead and turn it over to him right off the beginning, from the get-go, and say, God, lead me to the people you want to lead me to. Bring the people that you want to bring to me. I want the relationships in my life that you want to see in my life. There's no point in me trying to go do this on my own and then come to you later and say, what's going on? Let's just, let's just establish this right from the beginning. But see, I also believe that those laboring are generally the ones that inherit those blessings because that's where God is. He's not sitting on the couch. God despises laziness and idleness. So we're to pursue relationships. We're to move out, right? And we're gonna, we're gonna go pursue that and understand that's part of our purpose. But God is not looking, he's looking to bless those that are busy laboring and at work, right? Proverbs 10, four says that a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. And rich is not just in finances or in money, right? That's in our relationships and all the things that God wants to bring to us in the form of blessings and relationships are definitely that. Number two, we've got to always be transparent, total openness and honesty. You know, some people, some people take a step back on this when they think, well, you know, I don't, I just don't open up to people that quickly. I mean, that's just not me. You know, I'm real low key. I like to really... You know, okay, but what I'm submitting to you is that that approach really limits the ability for God to move through you in your life. You know, when you, when you, when you go forward, just let yourself be transparent. Be who you are. Don't try to be who you think people want you to be. 
right? And sometimes this can naturally just happen without us really realizing it. We kind of find ourselves acting one way in this area, in this environment, in this group of people, and then this way in another group of people, okay? That, that is just complete inappropriate way to approach that. We've got to be completely open and honest before God. If you don't, the relationship may progress for a while, but sooner or later, it's going to suffer a huge setback. You can only avoid authenticity for so long. You can't keep up with it for a lifetime. Proverbs 12.22, we could put that one up there, says that lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. See, I would say, this is where I would challenge you with, is that it's not just about an outright lie, but, but just putting up a facade and not even truly being who you are, I think that's untruthful as well. I, I think that's the call that God has put on us. That's the challenge that he's posing to us. Too many people these days believe it's okay to just stretch or hide the truth for a little while for the sake of convenience or because, you know, maybe it's just not going to be very uh, fruitful or comfortable if I'm, if I'm completely open and transparent. But Luke 16, 10 through 13 says that he who is faithful in little is faithful in much. And if you can't be honest in the little things, in the little conversations, and you get to know people and open yourself up and just be who you are, how are you going to be every, a lot of things to a lot of people? Point number three is you've got to be a risk taker. You have got to be a risk taker in the form of relationships. All right, this is the ch- one of the challenging points. But you've got to allow yourself to be vulnerable. You've almost got to be like a little naive. You know, some people are like, oh, you know, I, I believe it when I see it. Well, yeah, they talk a big game, da 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 Look, I know talk's cheap too. But all I'm saying is, is that I take people at face value until proven otherwise. Right? I'm going to put myself out there. I'm going to allow myself to be vulnerable. I'm going to be a little bit naive because I'm going to take a chance and I'm going to take a risk. This might be a relationship that God wants to move in my life to advance kingdom purposes. And if I hold back, I might miss that opportunity. You risk your emotions and your feelings. That's part of it. But ultimately, nothing can come against us that will destroy us. You know, in Matthew 25, 24 through 30 in the Message Bible, let's put that up there. This is about the parable of the talents. The servant given 1,000 said, Master, I know you have high standards and I hate careless, and hate careless ways, that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you, so I found a good hiding place and secured your money. It is safe and sound, down to the last cent. The master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest a sum with the bankers where at least I would have gotten a little interest. Take the thousand and give it to the one who risked the most and get rid of this play it safe who won't go out on a limb. See, when we take risks and we invest for God, it will always be multiplied. It will always be productive. In the flesh, there's risks. In the supernatural, it's already secured. It's already multiplied. Sometimes we have to take risks 
by standing next to people that are under attack, even if we don't fully know what's going on in the situation. In too many days now, nowadays, people are just quick to retreat and bail out on somebody because at, at appearance or at face value, it looks like you know, maybe they're not the kind of person that they want to be associated with. But I want to challenge you with John 6, 60 through 66 in the Message Bible. Jesus presents one of the most challenging, controversial statements in the Bible. And I got to admit, if I was there, this thing would have blown me away a little bit too. But he says, those who eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, right? People were like, whoa, what is that all about? Well, let's read on what happens after he makes that statement. Many among his disciples heard this and said, this is tough teaching, too tough to swallow. Jesus sensed that his disciples were having a hard time with this and said, does this throw you completely? What would happen if you saw the Son of Man ascending to where he came from? The Spirit can make life. Sheer muscle and willpower don't make anything happen. Every word I've spoken to you is a spirit word, and so it is life-making. But some of you are resisting, refusing to have any part in this. Jesus knew from the start that some weren't going to risk themselves with him. He knew also who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you earlier that no one is capable of coming to me on his own. You get to me only as a gift from the Father. After this, a lot of his disciples left. They no longer wanted to be associated with him. Controversial. Looks like a big issue. What's he doing? But really behind the scenes, at the truth of the matter, was a pure heart. The son of God, just wanting to bring salvation to mankind. There are people in your life, maybe now, or maybe they have been, or maybe they will be, that eventually are going to come under attack, and they're going to need some people to stand by them. Some people that are willing to look past what's at face value. Now, I'm not suggesting you ever stand alongside of evil. I oppose that. But when you don't know, and there's a chance that there still might be a pure heart there, you've got to take risks, and you've got to stand with people. That's how meaningful relationships are built over a lifetime. And the relationships that you have that God will bring you, guaranteed, there's going to be a few of those that are going to come under attack at some point. And are you going to be the person to stand next to them and help hold them up? Point four, in building relationships. Encouragement is always the lead dog. It's always the lead dog. You always move first with encouragement. Our goal is to inspire others in all we do and, and extract the potential that's inside of people that God has placed in them. You've got to train yourself to look for it and see it. Proverbs 16, 24 in the message says that a good word brings energy to the body, right? We've got to lead with encouragement in all that we do. All the other things will find their place and fall into sorts, but we've got to lead with an encouraging heart and look to build people up and extract the potential that lies inside of them that God has placed there. Point five is be a great listener. James 1, 19 says, every man be slow to speak and quick to hear and slow to anger. Right, being a great listener is one of the most foundational, critical concepts, points to building meaningful relationships. Somebody that's not a great listener, that's a, too much of a talker, will, will cut off the flow of the, of the possibilities that they can, that will open up, that God can use them for by listening. Being a great listener, part of that, and a big part of that is knowing how to ask questions effectively. It's the first part of being a great listener. You've got to learn to ask questions that take people somewhere that they want to go. 
Learn to ask questions about things that involve work and family and friends, where they live, where they're from, about their life. Who are you? Where did you come from? What's your story? Move into questions that'll allow you into their heart and that will allow you to be able to move them and impact them. At the same time, know when to tread softly or switch gears if you need to. Some areas have to be peeled off one layer at a time. Listening also allows you to pick up on useful information that can help you encourage, exhort other people, possibly learn yourself or avoid harmful things on your own. Listen first and speak last. Speaking too quickly can cause us to miss opportunities to learn about people. I just want to throw three scriptures up really quick in Proverbs. Again, in the message, 1813, says, answering before listening is both stupid and rude. 1815. Wise men and women are always learning, always listening for fresh insights. And then 2111. Simpletons only learn the hard way, but the wise learn by listening. So we're to be great listeners. Now, the caveat to this is that you don't allow yourself to listen to people that are going to speak poison. Proverbs 29.12 in the message says, When a leader listens to malicious gossip, all the workers get infected with evil. So when you're in a situation where that's happening, you've got a couple of decisions that you can make. You can counteract that poison with medicine, with words of life, allowing the spirit to speak through you, or you can just depart. But here's the key. When you depart, don't worry about a nice, pretty exit. Don't try to bow out gracefully and and make it as if it didn't upset you a little bit. Sometimes that uncomfortable, awkward departure is exactly what God wanted to use to be able to get through to that person. Next point, people need communication and it takes all different kinds. Now the biggest point to take note on is nothing competes with being in people's presence. That's how Jesus was most effective, was spending time with people. But there are additional forms of communication that allow us to expand our ability to manage more meaningful relationships. Written, right, email, cell phones, all the things we can do nowadays. It's not too tough to just reach out and touch somebody and send an encouraging word just let them know you're thinking about them. I'm not saying you can get close to a lot of people that way, but you can sure be a lot of things to a lot of people on the fringe by using the forms of communication available to us. Think about how effective would Paul have been had he not used written communication, if he would have only limited himself to being with people. His letters were what ultimately were able to continue to build the church after he was gone, right? Became obviously scripture to us today. So use the forms of communication available to you. Next point, always give people the benefit of the doubt. Understanding there are always factors and variables at work that you do not know. We can never allow ourselves to develop a position of thinking that suggests we have the absolute right view on someone else's situation based on a a handful of facts that are far from complete. Leave room for your opinion to need correction, but still have an opinion. To view our opinion as absolute truth will cause us to move forward in our thinking and develop more perspective based on a possibly flawed foundational view. Leave room for your opinion to have error, but have an opinion. Next point, have thick skin. Do not easily be offended. You know, if you're going to be the kind of person that builds relationships, you're going to have to allow yourself to 
not become offended. Offenses are the greatest barriers to building healthy, fruitful relationships. People think that they're holding the offender in prison, but really that they are the ones that are in prison and they're looking through the wrong side of the, of the cell. Offenses are what prevent us from moving forward. Offended, being offended is the opposite of forgiveness. Understand that every person in your life, if you're gonna build meaningful relationships, every person in your life at some point will need you to forgive them. And if you're not the kind of person that can do that and you become easily offended, eventually no relationship will ever stand the test of time. Forgiveness clears the air and sets things straight. It's kind of like repentance. You can come to God, you can repent, you can be forgiven and made clean, and you can walk forward white as snow. Forgiveness in your relationships when people offend you allows it to just be wiped out and start fresh again and build with fruitful atmosphere. Now, if people are multiple offenders and there's a habit and a continual perpetuation of that, you may need to start distancing yourself, distancing yourself from them gradually for, for the greater good. But ultimately, most people that offend you, it's unintentional. And you shouldn't wait for an apology to forgive them. Next point, tackling obstacles. Things like confrontation, challenges, tension. You gotta tackle them head on, but sometimes with a pillow. Proverbs 15.1 talks about how a calm approach is the best way to start any type of opposition. See, there's no place for tension in a healthy relationship. Can we put Proverbs 17.14 in the Amplified up? You've got, to, you've got to get rid of the tension whenever it starts to develop, and it's in the atmosphere. Too many people get away from it. They shy away from it. They, well, you know, they ignore it. It'll, it'll take care of itself. It's never going to take care of itself. Trust me, they don't just work themselves out. Tension is something that the enemy can use to get in there and drive a wedge between you and your meaningful relationships. This scripture says, the beginning of strife is when water first trickles from a crack in a dam. Therefore, stop contention before it comes worse, and, and quarreling breaks out. So you've got to clear the air. You've got to have those tough conversations. Don't avoid them. You've got to go to people and you've got to say, look, I don't know if I'm off here, but I'm sensing this. I, I just want to talk about it. I just want to clear the air. 99 out of 100 times, if you do that early on, it'll diffuse the entire situation. If you allow it to fester, it'll get worse and worse and worse, and all the facts and the events that led up to that point will be so convoluted, you can't make sense of what's up or down, and it's just a, it's just a time bomb waiting to happen. Get to the tension quickly. Have the tough conversations you need to have. But when you do, the, the, the main objective when you approach it is always allow people to see your heart. Let them to see that you are trying to, you intend to preserve the relationship above all things. We might have a disagreement. We might see things totally opposite. We might, I might have hurt you. You might have hurt me. I don't know. At the end of this, the relationship is intact. We're here to, we, I intend to preserve the relationship. There will always be obstacles that arise that you could not possibly have seen coming that just happen spontaneously. Again, be patient. Have self-control. Don't allow yourself to resort to anger or, or too quickly uh, making rash decisions that will enlarge the issue. I'm just going to give you the scriptures on that. Proverbs 14, 17, and 14, 29, talking about slow to anger, talking about how quick to anger makes a fool. And sometimes it's okay to, to regroup before responding if you need to whenever you've got to deal with that confrontation.
but deal with it and deal with it in the right time. Don't allow it to fester. Next point, the great attractor, attitude. Building quality relationships requires time spent with people in various capacities. People have to enjoy your company. Pretty simple point, right? But you've gotta be the kind of person people enjoy being around. You can have the greatest intentions in the world, but if you've got a poor attitude, people simply won't enjoy being around you. It makes it difficult to build relationships if people don't like to be around you. Great attitudes are, this is what I have found. Great attitudes are generally a byproduct of people with great perceptions about life. You can't just say, oh, I'm just, I'm just a person with a great attitude. I think that comes from somebody that has a great perspective on life. I'm blessed and highly favored. My family is healthy. I walked into here with my own two feet. Look, there could be a lot of bad things going on. I'm not overseas dying for my country right now. Thank God there's people that are defending us. I am in a great place, and life is good. And having a good perception allows us to have a great attitude. Bad perceptions are what cause bad attitudes. Great attitude is kind of like a tractor beam. It goes out a long way before it ceases to hit people. It's not just the person that you're interacting with. It radiates out a long way. People can feel it. They can sense it. They can see it. Somebody with an electrifying personality that's just excited and it's got a great attitude, you can sense it from all the way across the room. Next point, you've got to exist for others. Give more than receive. The irony here is that giving to other relationships and investing more than we're looking to receive for ourselves is ultimately what allows us to have the most happiness and fulfillment. There's a deep contrast between people who live their life to bring themselves pleasure and those who use their lives to bless others. Ultimately, both will build relationships, but the waves of the two lives will undeniably be different. Next point, connecting quickly versus slowly developing. See, some relationships are gonna, are gonna grow and establish very quickly, and others take time and need nurturing. All right, you can't be on one side or the other saying, well, I'm, just, I'm slow, or you know, I just dive right in there. I mean, there, there's both kinds. And I just wanna give you this. In Matthew chapter four, verses 18 through 22, in the New King James, Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon Peter and Andrew, his brother, Casting the net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat. Meddling their nets, he called to them, and immediately they left the boat and followed him. See, never underestimate the speed that God might need to move at when people have been placed in your path and aligned for kingdom purposes. Sometimes relationships are gonna develop very quickly. Other times, they're just gonna need nurturing. And, and in due season, that thing will ripen and be ready. So that's on building. Now on managing relationships, you know, we have to understand that it's a lot like a, a, a plant. Let's say like a rose bush, for example. A rose bush starts to blossom and a lot of buds are coming off of it. And in order to have the best, most lush bush that you can get, you have to do pruning. Because the bush itself and the roots and the life that's in that can only supply to so many buds. If, if you try to keep every bud that branches off, ultimately you will have a less than flourishing bush. So the pruning process has to take place. So we've got to understand that we have so much that we can put out, right? Now God is our strength and he, he works through us. But ultimately, we've got to know 
which relationships we can allow to flourish and which ones we might have to prune. We have to begin to invest in those from the inside out. There's your inner circle of people. You know, you're starting with your family and your friends, but then there's those key people that are linked with you, that are going the same direction of you, that can speak into your life and help you and speak truth to you. And you need to be able to invest 80% of your time in that inner circle, but also never underestimate how many people you can touch and reach with the other 20% of your time, because it is a lot. Next point, there's upward, sideways, and downward relationships. Just to make the point that you're going to have people that are mentors to you and speaking into you, which is a small percentage of the relationships. The vast majority are the people that you're fellowshipping with and carrying out life with, rubbing against each other and sharpening each other. And then there's going to be a handful of people that God positions for you to speak into and invest into. So you're going to have relationships going in all directions. Next point. Knowing which relationships to invest greater time into. You know, 2 Corinthians 6.14 talks about being equally yoked. And a yoke, it's like the bridle or whatever that attaches and, and links and harnesses animals together. Now, you can, animals can walk alongside each other and do their thing. But when they're yoked together, they have to be going in the same direction or they will ultimately destroy each other and never in, arrive at their destination. So we've got to understand that if people aren't going in the direction we're going and they're not moving towards the things that God has for them, there's a place for them in your life to be able to influence them, but you really can't allow yourself to be yoked to them. Because if you try to pull and they try to pull and you're going different directions, ultimately it's gonna drain more energy from you trying to pull this person and it's gonna decrease the speed at which you can move towards the things that God has for you. There's gonna be transitioning seasons as well, not necessarily seasons that you need to put to an end or, or just say, you know, I, this isn't falling into the relationships that God has for me, but some things are just gonna transition. You know, people move on. Uh, maybe you're holding on to just too many things or they're holding on to too many things. Life takes you different directions because of your purposes. Maybe it was just for a season you were linked together. New endeavors arise. You should always move forward. If you're always moving forward, the scenery will always change. But we should appreciate the old seasons and anticipate the new. Don't see this as a negative. So I'm going to wrap this up with some points that I feel are imperative to us in moving forward and managing relationships and being a lot of things to a lot of people. And this next point is the one I think is, of all the things, is probably the biggest one because it can be a great distractor and limiter to what, what comes in your life and what bears out in your life. And that point is that you cannot try to make everyone understand your motives all the time and try to always go about putting your reputation back into right standing when people's view is compromised or flawed. This is one of the greatest distractors. See, first of all, it's impossible to do that every time. But ultimately, what the Bible tells us is that God is the defender of your reputation, not you. You've got to let go of that huge responsibility. Psalm 710 says, God is my defense. 
See, you have got to get to a point where you release people to feel the way that they choose to feel and, the way that, and think the way that they choose to think. You have to release them to do that. It's beyond your control. You can do so much, but you cannot go about trying to always go and defend your reputation. You think about the, the Israelites when they're going away from Egypt and they hit the Red Sea, right? The way I see it is the Red Sea was just a huge distraction for them. All it did was stand in the way of their promised land and where they were headed, what God had planned for them, the path he was taking them on. So when the Red Sea separated, I see that as all of the distractions like we're talking about and trying to defend your reputation all the time, the distractions were, were separated and there was a clear path right down the middle. And all they did was walk right through the Red Sea. God was holding those walls of water up. They were so high probably that it was unfathomable if they looked at it. None of them were stopping trying to give God a hand and hold the water up, right? They just moved forward right through the the center, the path that God had cleared, and right into the thing that God had planned for them. They allowed God to be the defender, and they did not allow themselves to be distracted. In Exodus 17, 14, and 15, you know, the story of Moses when they're fighting the Amalekites, he goes up on the mountain, he holds up the staff while, they're, while Joshua and the troops are fighting. And as he lowers the staff, they start to be killed off. And when he raises the staff, they start to win. And so Aaron and, and his brother, they got up and they held his arms up so the staff stayed up. And ultimately, they came out victorious. And when it was done, God spoke to Moses before he came down. He said, write this down and show it to the people and repeat it to Joshua that I am, and he, he called himself Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Nisi, which means our banner. And you think about when people wave a banner, it's when they've already secured victory, right? They've secured victory, they plant the flag, and they wave their banner. See, God is our victory. And from that point forward, Joshua had to fight many battles, and God knew that Moses wasn't going to be around, so he needed to remind Joshua that you are always going to have the victory in God. It's secure while you're on your way to the promised land. Jehovah Nisi, our banner. The way I see it is that the promised land is representative for us. It's symbolic of our promised land is in heaven, and there's always going to be a fight on the way to heaven. The Israelites didn't stop on the way to the promised land and build forts and build embankments and security. They kept moving towards where God wanted to take them. We have a purpose and a plan. And we'll, there will always be a fight. But if you try to be the one that will always go out and defend your reputation and get distracted in all these things and get stymied in where God's trying to move you to, you'll never f- walk into the fullness of where God wants to take you. Jesus didn't go to the rulers and try to defend his reputation when he was under attack. He had too much work to do for his father, not his reputation. What did he say? He said, let the dead bury the dead, right? That, that thing about what they're saying about me, it's dead. Let them deal with it. I'm moving on. I know what God says about me, and I know what I did, and I know what's right and what's truthful. I don't have any time to deal with that. And God will defend me, and he will bring me into right standing. He is the defender of my reputation, and I leave it in his hands. This is one of the things that allows your life's work to flourish to full capacity. Love covers. We have to be, we have to have the power to build up or we have the power to build up or tear down with our words. We are to edify people, not expose them to others. 
1 Peter 4, 8 says, love covers a multitude of sins. Proverbs eleven thirteen says, a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Look, call evil for what it is, all right? Reveal it. But when there's discrepancies and people's reputation and image is being compromised, you know, we're called to speak something truthful in this situation or, or just not allow that person's uh, reputation to be compromised, right? Love covers a multitude of sins. We love that person, and so we can conceal things, not in a, in a deceptive way, but in a reverent way to be able to allow them to stay in right standing. Our relationships with people are like our relationship with God. They're ever-increasing while external things are constantly fading. The relationships we build in alignment with our God-given purpose can weather the storms, and they will supersede the outlying circumstances. When you touch people's soul, you leave an imprint that will stand the test of time, and few things can achieve that effect. Relationships are what make us more effective. Our ideas are seldom perfect at first conception. God reserves room for others to add value to them and share in the fulfillment. Our challenges are often designed for us to walk through them with others. Many great ideas, challenges, or pursuits did not reach their fullness because we failed to see the need for others to take part. Relationships are a part of our everyday lives and our full purpose. In closing, you know, at the end of our life, if we really pour ourselves out the way God has called us to do, and I pray we you know, all get that revelation, if we pour ourselves out the way he's called us to do, at the end of our life, we will be all used up. Hebrews 12.1, put that up there. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is actually a quote that I really like that describes this. It's from uh, Emma Bombeck. It says, when I stand before God at the end of my life, I would hope that I would not have a single bit of talent left and could say, you used, I used everything you gave me. See, I want people's life, lives to be positively impacted from being around me. That's the way I judge if I'm really walking this out the way God's called me to walk out. I want people to feel like that their life has been touched, it's more fulfilled, it's more meaningful, not because of me, but because of what God did through me. But if that's the effect that I can have on people, even if for a short time to be in their company, then I know that I'm allowing God to work through me in all of the relationships that I endeavor to, to build and pursue, whether close proximity or at a distance. And so I will submit to you that all of us are called to run this race. Some will run, some will walk, some may quit, and some may never enter. But realize still, you are in a race.